1: Where are the Christians? They stood by this mob, pulled Paul out, and they would have killed him. Very much like the churches stood by in the 30s and watched Nazi Germany do what they did. Never coming forward, never proclaiming the gospel, never proclaiming righteousness, never standing up for what is right. I, I guess they were afraid. I guess maybe we'll stand by silently too as things in our nation continue to progress. I certainly hope
0: not. Nobody likes to live with regret. The feeling of, I should have done something there, can haunt some people for a lifetime. Today, Pastor Dave will challenge today's Christians to not be like some in church history. As world events and Christian persecution unfolded, oftentimes we are left wondering, where were the Christians? Now here's Pastor Dave for today's message. Acts 21, beginning in 30, verse
1: 30 uh, through 39. So if you'll read along silently with me, I'll read aloud. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after him, crying out, Away with him! Away with him! Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, "'May I speak to you?' he replied. "'Can you speak Greek? "'Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion "'and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness?' But Paul said, "'I am a Jew from Tarsus and Sicilia, "'a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, "'permit me to speak to the people.'" This study seems to have taken on many, many faces, and as early as yesterday morning, it wasn't what it is now. Uh, sitting before the Lord and talking and praying and even conversing with my wife, the message seemed to have changed a little bit, keeping the same meaning and same context. However, I couldn't quite understand what we needed to say. But today's message is entitled Where Were the Christians? Where Were the Christians? And as I read through today's text, as I studied it, as I studied today's text, and the title of the message, I all of a sudden started to think about, and you know me as a history buff. You know I love history. In fact, when I went to college, I wanted to be a history teacher. Flunked the first class and became a shop teacher. So anyhow, I, want, I love history. I'm a history buff. And as I was studying this, in the title of this message, all of a sudden I began to think, and I began to ponder on the fact, where were the Christians during Hitler's rise to power during the time of terror in World War II? Why was there no major outcry from the Christian community? Where were the Christians? You know, it's a well-published fact that the churches throughout Europe were mostly silent while the Jews were persecuted, while they were deported, and while they were murdered by the Nazis. Churches, especially those in Nazi Germany, sought to act on their own best interests to keep silent rather than ruffle feathers, not wanting themselves to stand out. At least they would be persecuted. At least they would be ones who would be poured upon. In fact, if you look at the Holocaust museums and their list of bystanders, Churches that did absolutely nothing during the Holocaust, the list is long and is extremely depressing. In Nazi Germany in September of 1935, there were a few Christians in a church called the Protestant Confessing Church who demanded that the church take a public stand in defense of the Jews. But their efforts, however, were overruled by the church leaders who wanted to avoid any conflict with the Nazi regime. Internationally, however, some churches in Europe and North America did condemn the Nazis and their measures towards the Jews and the extermination process. However... There were many debates about what they should do outside of Germany, inside of Germany. But these discussions usually centered around more of a strategic consideration. In other words, let's maintain good relationships with our colleagues in Germany rather than what should we do about the problem. Assisting European Jews was not a high priority of the allied governments because they sought to defeat Hitler militarily. That was their aim pure defeat of his reign. Unfortunately, courageous acts of individual rescuers and resistant members proved to be an exception, not the norm. And one of these exceptions was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German Lutheran pastor, and he was a theologian. He was known as a dissident and an anti-Nazi and a founding member of the Confessing Church. His writings on Christianity's role in the secular world have become widely influential, and many have labeled his book, The Cost of Discipleship, a modern classic. And apart from his theological writings, however, Bonhoeffer became known for his staunch resistance to the Nazi dictatorship. He strongly opposed Hitler's euthanasia program and genocidal things that he was doing to the Jews and his persecution. He was involved in the plans by the members of the Abwehr, which was the German military intelligence office, to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He was involved there. He was arrested in April of 1943 by the Gestapo, and he was executed by hanging in April of 1945 while he was in a concentration camp, 23 days before the Germans surrender. Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, as I said, is considered a modern classic for the Christian. The original title is Simple Discipleship, and it's centered around an exposition that Christ gave on the Sermon on the Mount, in which Bonhoeffer spells out what he believes it means to follow Jesus Christ. And the theme of the book is summarized in one potent statement, Quote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die, Unquote. This book was first published in 1937 when the rise of the Nazi regime was underway, and against this backdrop was Bonhoeffer's theology, and costly discipleship development, how much it cost to be a disciple of Christ, and this ultimately led to his death. Bonhoeffer knew all too well the cost of discipleship, for he paid the ultimate price of that discipleship while following that long and narrow way. Yes. You know the scriptures, Jesus has indeed called us to follow him on that narrow way. And he's called many, many people to travel down that narrow road. But unfortunately, so few of us choose to follow after him in a discipleship mode. But the Apostle Paul had a radical obedience to Jesus Christ and his narrow way. The Apostle Paul followed that narrow way. This radical obedience came from a radical conversion along the way in Damascus Road when he was knocked off his high horse, so to speak. And after that, Paul's life would never be the same, nor would it ever be considered commonplace. Now, throughout Paul's missionary journeys, and we studied them as we went through the book of Acts, he was never one to shrink back or hold back from spreading the gospel. Paul never shrunk back from the activities of preaching the good news to those that were lost. Paul knew that he was called to do that. Paul knew that that was his charge, and he never shrunk back from that. Why? Because Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for he knew it was the power of God to salvation, first to the Jews and second to the Gentiles. Paul knew that. He wrote that in Romans 1, verse 16. But he knew it because he experienced it. He knew it because he experienced in his own life and he saw the transforming power and what happened to him in his own life. So when he spoke about that transforming power of the gospel, he knew it. He knew it firsthand. See, Paul had a passion for Christ. Paul had a passion for Christ and he desperately, so desperately wanted his countrymen, the Jews, to come to salvation by faith in Jesus. And he was willing to do anything to accomplish that fact. Like Dietrich Baalhofer, Paul knew the cost of discipleship and chose to take a stand for Christ. Remember, back in Acts 21, he told his friends that he was willing to go to Jerusalem and die if necessary so that some might be saved. As we review, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he found the church of Jerusalem in a very, very weakened state those Jews who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ became Christians. They were all now zealous for the law. A new breed was born, a strange mixture of Christianity and Judaism. They thought that continually obeying the law and by continually keeping it to themselves, they would continually be saved. Keeping themselves close to God would be somehow beneficial to them through rituals and traditions. When what they were really doing was trampling upon the grace of God. They were trampling upon God's very grace that he had given to them. And they decided that they would force others, namely the Gentiles, to adhere to this law system that they nor their fathers could bear. Their fathers couldn't do this before them. It was shown to them. He couldn't bear this yoke, but they insisted upon forcing this on to all who would believe. The crazy thing about this law system as we studied Back in Exodus 20, it was never intended for the Gentiles. The law was never intended for the Gentiles in the first place. But Paul waged a steady campaign against this group of false teachers. He called them Judaizers. They had sown great confusion among the apostles' recent converts. They went to them and constantly came against them, and they were teaching them that they had to become Jewish to be saved. They had to fulfill the law of Moses. They had to be circumcised to be served. We saw that the church of Jerusalem was weakened by gossip and rumors. Slanderous accusations against Paul had circulated throughout the church and how Paul taught the law of Moses. James even said to him, But they have been informed about you that you teach all the laws, all the excuse me, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor walk according to the customs. You can read that in verse 21 of Acts 21. The church was also uh, weakened because of compromise. The elders asked Paul to compromise his convictions and take four men, take them into the temple and help them fulfill a vow, sponsor them, pay their way. And by doing this, you're going to appease the Jews. The church was men-pleasers. They they were man-pleasers. They didn't care for Christianity. They wanted to please men because they were afraid there would be an uproar. A lot of good that did. But Paul agreed to this. Many, many people believed that this was a sin for Paul. When Paul agreed to this compromise, many people believed that Paul was going against his own convictions and his own writings in Galatians and Romans. But Paul agrees to this because he wants to see the Jews saved. He wants to see the Jews come into salvation. So he thinks if he can be all things to all people, to the Jew, I became as a Jew. And he could do that. Why? Because he was a Jew. He could do that. The church was was weakened by compromise. The church was weakened by prejudice when they saw Paul in the temple. These men assumed that because Paul was there, the Gentiles, what were with him, were there. And they went crazy. Their prejudicial attitude just reared up and raged. and And they attacked Paul and drug him out and started pounding on him. This is crazy. Paul had done exactly what the elders in James had asked him to do. He showed them his flexibility. He showed him his ability to compromise and try to maintain peace. Remember Paul also brought an offering from the Gentile churches? Remember we studied that? Paul brought an offering to the Gentile churches? That's not even mentioned that they received it. It's not even mentioned what happened to it. Nothing is mentioned at all. Luke leaves that out completely. So, what was the result of all this weakening, this legalism, these gossip and rumors, this this compromise and, and this prejudice? What was the result? A riot. They caused a riot within the church. What is the result of this? The Jews from Asia got the upper hand and they started to stir up the crowd. They started to get these people all crazy, and the crowd with crowd mentality, they go wild. And we looked at verse 27, it says, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. And beginning in verse 30, it says, and all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. They threw him out of the temple. Get out of this temple. Paul is dragged out into that upper court, I mean, that, that court of the Gentiles. He's dragged out there, and he's beaten. They start to pound on the guy. Look at verses 31 and 32. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all the Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw that the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The only way they stopped beating Paul was when the soldiers set up. Now, I love the Bible. You can learn many, many different things about the Bible, including historical facts. Now, I can tell you here that there were over 200 people coming, 200 soldiers coming to Paul's rescue. How can I tell you that? Because the word centurions, goes each centurion commanded 100 people. So if there was more than one centurion, if there were centurions, then there must have been at least 200 people coming with the commander. They needed that many people to rescue Paul. So many soldiers. So I have to ask the question, where were the Christians? Where were the Christians doing all this? Where were the Christians? Where, where was James and the elders? What were they doing doing all this? All these people in Jerusalem, not one person stands up for Paul. Not one person stands up for righteousness and says, what you're doing for Paul is wrong. Not one person. Where were they? If they had said something, if James and the elders had said something, I believe that Luke would have recorded it. I truly believe that Luke would have recorded it and said something about that. It's completely silent. They don't stand up. Where are the Christians? They stood by this mob, pulled Paul out, and they would have killed him. Very much like the churches stood by in the 30s and watched Nazi Germany and do what they did. Never coming forward, never proclaiming the gospel, never proclaiming righteousness, never standing up for what is right. I I guess they were afraid. I guess maybe we'll stand by silently too as things in our nation continue to progress. I certainly hope not. It's inconceivable to me that this happened without a word from anyone. Listen to what John Corson said. He's, one of, he's, he's another one of my favorite commentators. John Corson says this. Here's the question. Where were the Jerusalem believers? Paul had come bringing an offering for them. He had shown his flexibility in doing what they asked him, even if it was against his convictions. And now he was getting beat up as a result. Where was the church when Paul was in trouble? Nowhere to be found. That's quite of an indictment. That's quite of an indictment right there. He continues, this is what happens when legalism, compromise, and prejudice begin to set into a church or even an individual. Energy and commitment are replaced by traditionalism and rituals. A better-than-you attitude exists. We're better than you, so we're going to enforce our law upon you. If you don't obey our law, we'll we'll just uh, kill you. That's the attitude that they have. That was the attitude that Hitler had. We're just going to destroy everybody to make my race. It's a tragic commentary that in Jerusalem, it was the Romans, Gentiles, who stood up for Jew, Paul, not the Christian church. As we continue, look at verse 33. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he'd done. I wonder, as Paul was putting his hands out and as they were binding his hands, what do you think might have gone through his mind? What do you think might have gone through Paul's mind as they were doing that? Remember back when we studied Acts 21.11, when the prophet Abigus came to the group right before Paul entered Jerusalem? The prophet Abigus comes, and he says this in Acts 21.11, when he, the prophet, had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Was Paul going, whoa, wait a minute. What was the conclusion? What was the consensus of that group? The consensus of that group when Paul says, I'm willing to go to die to Jerusalem. I don't care. What was their consensus? The Lord's will be done. Lord's will be done. That was the consensus was. So I guess the Lord's will is being done here. In verse 34a, it says, And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. They didn't even know what they were doing. They were all running around beating, beating, beating this man up. What, why are you doing this? I don't know, because he's doing it. Oh, they're, they're running around. This mob mentality takes place again. They couldn't even agree on why they were doing this. Some said this. Others said that. Most probably didn't even know what the heck they were doing. In verses 34 or 36, so when he could have not ascertained the truth because of the tumult... He commanded him to be taken to the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of people followed after, crying out, away with him, away with him. After Paul's conversion, Jesus showed him what he was going to suffer, how he was going to suffer for Jesus' namesake. It says that in Scripture. Here we see Paul suffering just like Jesus did. The crowd yelling the exact same thing they yelled to Jesus, away with him. Away with him, which finally led to crucify him. Remember years earlier, a few years earlier, Jesus was there. You know Jesus, another radical with crazy ideas. He said really bizarre things that made people crazy like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know those radical statements that Jesus made that everybody wanted to kill him for? This is what happened to Paul. Paul. As we continue, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, no, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. They take Paul to the barracks, and he asks permission to speak The commander thinks he's an Egyptian, Egyptian rebel who came against the Romans some time ago. And and this is is documented in Josephus. It's documented in Josephus that there was this Egyptian rebel who led a band of some 4,000 people or so against the Romans. And they were quelled. The rebellion was quelled. Paul says no, and he introduces himself. Paul wants to speak to the crowd. Why? Paul wants to speak to these guys. These guys just finished beating him up. He's probably all bloody and bruised. He's probably shaken. But he wants to speak to the crowd. Why does Paul want to speak to the crowd? They just beat you up, Paul. They want to kill you. What do you want to talk to them for? Why? Because he has this overwhelming passion for people to know Christ. He has this overwhelming passion that they might know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and come into the kingdom of God and to be reconciled with God, to be brought in to a holy nation, a royal priesthood, to be brought in by Jesus Christ. Paul wanted them to be saved. He had an overwhelming passion for his people, and he would even desire to be anathema to them for their sake. Someone who's loathed, someone who's, who's cursed by the church authority so that they may know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul would go to nothing and stop at nothing so that people would see Jesus in him. Wow. This begs the question. This begs the question, where are you, Christian? Where are you today, Christian? Have you considered the cost of discipleship?
0: There's much more Pastor Dave would like to share with you, but we've run out of time for today. This has been another edition of Cape Watch Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Pastor Dave will continue teaching verse by verse through the book of Acts next time. You can order today's message for free by emailing us at info at Sometimes it's just easier to call. Our phone number is 609-884-5821. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 609-884-5821. You can learn more about Cape Watch Radio, Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and Pastor Dave at our website, www.capewatchradio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at capewatchradio.com. That's www.capewatchradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. You can also subscribe to the Cape Watch Radio podcast. Subscribing is easy. Log on to capewatchradio.com. Click on the subscribe button or simply search for Cape Watch Radio in the iTunes store. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Cape Watch Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Cape Watch Radio.